This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. First and foremost, I want to thank the Rosh Hashiva for inviting me over here, especially for Aaron, for, for arranging everything. Um, hopefully, you know, generally when people invite me, it's usually to speak about topics that most people don't generally speak about. So, um, which is interesting when you think about it. <clears throat> the topic of music. Music is so fundamental in our lives that... It's fundamental not only in our lives, even in Yiddishkeit. Even when we're dealing in the, in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, there was also music was involved. But yet, you don't hear too much about it. There's not too much that's spoken about it. Whenever I'm dealing with a subject, and you really want to try to get to the to the fundamentals of the subject, I always try to think about it. How would I explain this to somebody who has absolutely zero ideas of this? So, if let's say you're speaking about sukkahs. Imagine you have, you have a guy that comes up and he says, what is this that you're doing? Assuming that they never saw a yid before in their life. How are you going to explain to them you have a lulav and you have a lemon and you're going to shake it? If you're not able to explain it to the most basic level, then I, I feel like you're missing something in understanding the basic level of something. When you think about music, imagine you have a deaf person from birth. Never heard about music before. Never even saw someone dance before. And... He goes and he says, please try to explain to me what music is. How do you explain that? You have, so, so there's one noise followed by another noise, and you put those noises together, it makes a tune, and that tune makes you want to dance. And then, you guys, then he was going to ask you, so what is dance? What does it mean to dance? So you say, you know, depending. Depending if you're Ashkenaz or if you're Sephardi, that depends on what dance is. What's the dance of an Ashkenaz? You hold the guy's hand next to you and you run around in a circle. The fancy, the really advanced dancing is, you know, the two steps, what is it, one step forward, two steps back, counterclockwise. Usually when we have the most advanced dancers and, you know, the chasanas, they have to break off to their own circles because not everybody's able to upkeep with these really high level, you know, uh, dance moves. What is a Sephardi dance? Sephardi dance, you shake your feet a little bit and then you, uh, you, you fix some light bulbs, you know. And depending on the level of the Sephardi, the light bulb might be in the front, it might be in the side, you know, it might be up. That's dance. Does it make any sense to you? Is there any other external stimuli that happens that when you have something get played, you want to make you feel, feel yourself want to move? You want to, you want to dance? You want to, to the extent, put it this way. You're walking down the street. You see a guy dancing by himself in the corner. You know, I think this guy's, uh, guy's crazy. And then, let's say, you go and you see he has little uh, headphones in there. So you're like, okay, he's not, he's not crazy. He's, you know, he's interesting. But then let's say you hear the music that he is dancing to. Then all of a sudden it went for like this guy has a situation to this guy has not so much of a situation to this guy's pretty talented. So music not only has the ability to change the way that we behave, it also changes the way that we perceive things, that we perceive reality. Whenever I speak to people about the effects of music, the effects of non-Jewish music, people always say, eh, doesn't make much of an effect on me, it doesn't matter, it doesn't really bother me, it doesn't change me. So... In order to put all those theories aside, I'm going to actually share with you a lot of scientific ideas on it. We're not even going to talk about from the Yiddish guy perspective for a good 15 minutes. I want to show you what the non-Jewish world says about music to the extent of what it does. So Scientific American, was it a respected uh, you know, scientific uh, journal, says that there's three parts in the brain that are activated when you listen to music. And it's a pleasure, there's a pleasure and reward, uh, you know, stimuli that gets activated in your brain when you listen to music. To the extent that the more that you enjoy music, the more that it's going to be activated. Meaning, if you have two people 
that are listening to the same exact song, one person will get significantly more pleasure than the other, and it will reflect in their chemical reactions in the brain. The <coughs> Rabbi Shlomo Alkabetz, which is the author of L'Chadadi, goes and says that music has has ability that's so pleasurable that it has ability to remove a person to, from his surrounding, that they don't know what's going on. And I don't know if you've seen this, but, you know, I come from New York, and in New York there's a subway, and you have to unfortunately take this uh, public transportation sometimes, and you see people sit over there with their music, and they get so into their own world that sometimes they start singing out loud. And they're not the best singers. But they don't, they're, they're not putting, they're, they're, it sounds like they're hitting puberty as they're going through their tunes and they're like, they sound terrible, but they're completely oblivious to everything that's going on because they're so much in their own, in their own world. Rabbi Shal of Mudgets had a, uh, you know, advanced medical issues also involving diabetes and he had some gangrene on his foot that the doctor needed to operate on. And the doctor, went and he wanted to put him under anesthesia. He wanted to put him under. And Rabbi Shol said, no, no, no. He says, I don't want to go under. He says, oh, you you know, you're talking about scraping off part of a leg. We can't, uh, you know, you have to go under. It's not going to work all the way around. He says, don't worry. Somehow, he was able to convince the doctor. He says, don't worry about it. Let me take care of me. You take care of what you need to do. Don't worry about it. And the Majlis of Dynasty, whoever is familiar with the Hasidic Dynasty, they were very, very involved in composing the Gunim. And uh, while the, the doctor was operating... The rabbi would put himself into, he started, you know, fixing up one of his tunes of slichas. And from that, he was so much in another world that he wasn't budging. He was able to go and follow through. Nowadays, you go to a dentist. The needle hurts. So they have to put anesthesia on the needle that's going to numb you. Imagine what you have to go through to put yourself in a situation that you don't feel it. It says music has the ability to do that. Music has the ability to remove yourself from the surrounding and put yourself in a situation that you're oblivious to everything that's going around you. There are numerous, numerous scientific studies that were done. They had on people that had anxiety issues. That music helped them to the same level to reduce the anxiety as, the, as medication. Obviously not to the you know, extent that it was, not the long-term effect, but it had a strong effect in it. They had study after study about the effects of music, that it's, that it's good for dementia, anxiety, depression, and even cancer, that it helps people. Now, obviously, you can, you know, you can ask, well, what type of music that they were listening to? I guarantee you they weren't listening to the type of music that the majority of people are listening to nowadays. That's not the music that's considered helpful. There was a, another study that was done on people that were incarcerated, people that were in prison. A study was done in 2016 that they saw that inmates that were listening to music a particular type of music, they found that their self-esteem was, was you know, raised and they had better mental health overall. That's the extent that it had on music. There was also a study done on children. When a child goes into a uh, doctor's office, usually you know, it's the white coat syndrome, they get very, very nervous, they get very scared. When it, with the, there was a study done on 42 children. They went to the hospital, ages from 3 to ages of 11. And... They, these 42 children that were picked on the study each had to have an IV line placed in them. So they had to have the needle placed into their hand and they had to have some fluid running in. Now it's very painful and very difficult for, a, you know, for somebody to go and place that into a child. They split the group into two. For one group, they played some music in the background. For another group of the children, they played no music in the background. And they saw across the board that the children that had music in the background, they were less anxious, they felt less pain when dealing with the needle, 
And the people that didn't have anything, they were, the, this is, by the way, they asked the healthcare you know, practitioners, the people that actually put the needles, says, which one was easier? They said across the board, without a question, it was with the people that, the boys, the, the children that heard the music. So, for people that say that music doesn't affect you, music affects you. To the extent, how do you know that affects you when you're dealing with money? Because you have even medical insurance that sometimes covers this music therapy. Now, unless, it's, unless there's like serious, serious proof showing that it helps them, they're not interested in paying for it. But yet they are. There, is, there are some scenarios that they cover music therapy. They also made a study regarding the sleep quality. They had this study. They took teenagers and they split them up into three groups. And they, um, there's also even you know, people that were older than, you know, also in their early 20s, that they took them into three groups. One group, 45 minutes, relaxing music before you go to sleep three times a week. Another group, you listen to an audiobook, right? We like to call them shirim, whatever. Audiobook they were listening to. For th- again, 45 minutes, three nights a week. The last group was a control group, nothing. And they found across the board that the people that listened to music before they went to sleep, again, the relaxing type of music, they were able to sleep better, they had less depressive symptoms, and overall had a better general quality of sleep. Now, the question is, so what type of music were they listening to? Now, I want to share with you a few, just a few more studies on the severity of what happens when you, the type of music that you listen to, and the different, unfortunately, the current type of music that you're listening to. The American Academy of Pediatrics, when they did research on 1,461 teenagers, and on the type of music that they listened to, and they found that the, the children, these, these teenagers that they were listening to, the more violent and the more promiscuous type of music they were listening to is what they end up becoming. Now, it doesn't mean that if they were listening to rap music, they were going to go and murder people. But it means that it affected them to the extent that they saw it in their study one after another that it actually affected them. They had also a uh, study done on, by the Prevention Research Center that uh, said that people that listen to rap and hip-hop are more likely to abuse alcohol and commit violent acts. By the way, not Jewish. This is, not, this is a completely secular, non-Jewish study of the effects that, that music has. Now, I'll tell you like this, and the things that, you know, and the that we have over here, but uh, if there's somebody by the name of Little Bo Beep that's going to speak and rap to you, and you think this is, this is what you're really going to gain in life about it, what do you think that they're actually speaking about? All the disgusting things that, and you think it doesn't have an effect on you? I remember one time, maybe about 12 years ago, I was in Manhattan, and um, there was a, uh, somebody handing out CDs in the corner, and it wasn't Tyra Lectures, let's just leave it at that. He goes and he says, hey, hey, listen, he says, you want to come listen to my music? So uh, I said, you know, I'm going to start explaining to him, oh, this is non-Jewish music, I don't listen to non-Jewish music, you know, like, oh, go figure. I said, no, 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 I'm not interested. And, you know, some of them are very aggressive, and they try to get it again and again and again. I said, no, no, I don't, I'm, I don't, and finally I told him, I don't listen to music. He says, you don't listen to music? He says, well, what do you do? What are you listening to? Lectures? I don't know. Like, well, you know, he didn't take it. He forced it finally. Sometimes, sometimes it's easier. Okay, fine, let me take this CD. I went around the corner, the closest you know, dumpster, I put it inside. But what do you see on that, on that cover of that CD that he wanted to you know, go and, and make me listen to it? You see him. He's holding some weapons of mass destruction. There is a pile of baking soda, let's call it, in the background. There, you know... You know, the, 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 and this, you know, tattoos all over the face. And this is what you think, yeah, this is what's going to, this has relaxed me. You know, the people, oh yeah, when they tell me, oh, you don't understand music. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand music. If this is the thing, the, the, the extent of, of dirt that's out there nowadays, and you think that it doesn't affect you, you're fooling yourself. 
One more study. There was a study done and people listened to heavy metal and rock music. I said that this increases the risk of suicide, increases depression, and increases conduct problems. Now, this, like I said, has nothing to do with Yiddish, nothing to do with Judaism. We didn't even speak anything about Judaism. This is the effect that the secular people, the non-Jewish world is telling you that it has a music. And then you have people who say, oh, no, no, it doesn't affect me. Well, you must put yourself in an entire scenario that you're not affected by anything else. By the way, if you ever think that an external stimuli doesn't affect you, then you're fooling yourself. It affects everything that we see, everything that we hear, even things that we smell affect us. <coughs> the power of a tune is so strong that even the way that you speak, the same words are going to either could be a, a derogatory statement or it could be a compliment. Someone you know, walks over to you and be like, you're smart. Like, excuse me? Like, no, no, you're smart. Now, I said the same two words, but the tiny difference that I had in the, in the way that I vocalized it, all of a sudden made a world of a difference. Whenever, whoever's not married, when you guys get married, you come home, you see your wife, maybe he's a little upset, you say, is everything okay? I'm fine. She's not fine. If you ask, is everything wrong? Nothing's wrong. Something's wrong. But if she says, no, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. All of a sudden, the same words... Slightly different tunes change everything. It changes the, the, entire, the entire context of what you're trying to say. I want to share with you some things from, you know, Elisha, Elisha Sandler. He has a say for Bashir Obazimra. Brings down some, some very interesting facts and ideas on, on song. Rabshal Yedid of Mudgets, another one of the, the, the rabbis from Mudgets, from the Mudgets of the dynasty, says like this. says, music is the language of the soul. The Imre HaKadosh brings down further, and it says that if somebody has the inability to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has an inability to connect to Hashem, through music, you'll be able to connect to it. Even furthermore, Rav Klonimus Kalman goes and says that music has, is the key to the soul. And this is why Rav Shlomo Alkabetz goes and explains, you know, we're coming up to Purim. How come, do you ever realize in the story of Purim, Achashverosh went and he threw a party, a crazy party, that focused four out of the five senses. It speaks about the wine, it speaks about the food, it speaks about the cushions and the curtains and the paint. It speaks about everything, if you look in the Midrashim. But it doesn't speak about music. How come Achashverosh didn't put on some music? Could have hired somebody, half dollar maybe would have wanted to play for him, and he would have went over there and he would have played some music for him. Why couldn't he go and he, and he, and he you know, have some music going on? Music is very entertaining. Wedding. People had music. Why didn't Achashverosh want any music over there? The answer is, there's one practical answer that everybody has a different taste of music. And if you have a different taste of music, so what you're going to enjoy, I might not enjoy. So how could everybody, you know, feel enjoyment to it? You need to, you know, better not have it. But there's a deeper answer to it. We know that one of the reasons that Achashverosh did this party, it was the end of the 70 years that this, there was a, there was a, a nevuah, there was a prophecy that came out, that came out by the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, that said that after 70 years, there's gonna be a rebuilding of the second base of Mikdash. It's gonna be the ending of the Geula. So that everybody, there was a few calculations. As usual, when you're dealing with calculations, it was, uh, miscalculated. And Achashverosh thought this is the time. So he threw a party to make sure that the Yiddin are not gonna get, they're not gonna get, uh, they're not gonna get redeemed. So he wanted to make sure, he wanted to bring the, the point of the party was to bring the Eden down, to bring them down to the lowest level. He says, if I'm going to put music, music is the key to the soul, it has a power, it's a language of the soul. If I put music, I'm going to lose them. They're going to go raise into the spiritual levels that I don't want them to. Said Achashverosh, it's not worth it for me to put music because music has the power to uplift you. <clears throat> the Gemara Chagiga brings down also that the Malachi Ashars, they sing Shira. They sing Shira, and what, you know... <clears throat> I heard a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, you know, interpretation on, on why 
why people, when they listen to music, they want to dance. Very odd thing, you know, like does the, whole, the whole concept of dancing. And he says that your neshama is used to music. It hears music in the other world, in the next, you know, in the next world, and it, it, it understands music. It's a language of the neshama. It, it, it remembers the, the, the songs, the shiva that they heard. When you hear music, you get, you get like, oh, you know, like your neshama, you know, sort of lifts it up. And then your body brings it back down, crashes back down. And then you jump up again, and then you jump back down again. This is the idea, this is the concept that I heard, one of the reasons of why you're dancing. When you're, it's like a conflicting of emotions that are going on inside with you, and it results in a, a you know, in sometimes in a little bit uh, odd physical movement that results on the people called dancing. When you look, let's say, in, uh, <clears throat> you look at some pictures, a collage of pictures, a, a slideshow that plays, depending on the music, it could change it. If you have nice music, ah, memories. If you have sad music, it's like, ah, memories. And it it changes the concept. And this is not even words. This is just a tune. There was a study done by people that are driving. People that are, people, you know, I don't know why people, when they drive, they like listening to music. You know, if anybody's not familiar and they're bored while they're driving, there's plenty of discs of Torah that you can listen to. There's Torah anytime that you can, there's so many things that you could do to it. It's not like you're missing entertainment. But they like listening to music. So they made a study on the type of music that the drivers are listening to. And they found that when the drivers were listening to more aggressive music, they drove more aggressively. When they were listening to different types of music, more relaxing music, they drove more calmer, more safer, if we may. We also know that music has an effect on you when you, when you exercise. They made a study done that, that uh, when somebody's going, and they made on, on cyclists, on people that are pedaling, depending on the beats that they had and how fast were the beats or how fast people were cycling. So it affects you to such an extent that I don't know if you're understanding what, what the reason I'm bringing all these studies down. It affects you so much that it even makes you, the type of music that you're listening to is going to either make you go faster or slower, be more awake or be more sleepy. So it changes you. It changes you physically. Kavachomer, for certainly it's going to sp- change you spiritually. The, we know that not only has the ability to change you, it also has the ability to change your your emotion, to the, even in an instant. We know in Shalom Allah, he was, uh, you know, the, the Pasuk Shmuel Aleph goes and says that, uh, Hashem, Saramim Shal. The, the divine, the, the, the spirit of, of Hashem left Shal. The Malbim goes there and explains that Shal went to a little downstage. He was, he was depressed. And you go a few Pasukim later, what did the servants say? What, what is going to get Shal out? They said, oh, you go look over there. You have actual issue there, and I'm in Go find somebody that knows how to play a harp. Because music has the ability to take someone from depression to go and bring them out of depression. We know <clears throat> that in the base of Mikdash there were songs. The Levim. They sang, it was, by the way, this is both instrumental and vocal that the Levim sang in the base of Mikdash. And where do we see this? We see the Midbar. We see over here it says, Avoid, avoidas, avoidah. It says it twice. What is this, uh, the, the, the service of the service that they're working? Rashi there goes, and it's quoting Gemara from, from uh, um, no, I'm sorry, Rashi brings it down. That says this is the music. It's, what is the music referring to? This is talking about the cymbals and the harps. This is the service for what? For the karbanas. This is what they used to serve. And this deals with Simcha Banim of goes and explains like this. He says that uh, the world, the world of music is very close to the world of tshuva. So much so that somebody is considered a fool if somebody is involved in the world of music and he's not in the world of tshuva. Because it's right there. It's all right there. This is how, and then the Vilna Gon also brings it down, that through the power of song you have the ability to, uh, to defeat the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. That's the power of music that you have. So in the base of Migdash, now the Shem Shmuel brings this down, in the base of Migdash you have that 
when you bring a karbana, sometimes it was music accompanying it. And the kohanim would go, and they would see the whole point, you know, one of the main points of bringing a carbon is for tshuva. You do the whole thing, but you don't have the tshuva, you're losing the whole, you're losing everything. So one of the main things is, what is for tshuva? The kohanim were looking at the person bringing the carbon, the carbon khatas, and says, this guy, I don't know, I don't feel that his tshuva is sincere. So they would signal to the levim, play something sad, play something that's going to bring him to a full sense of tshuva. And the levim would start playing with it. And once the levim were playing, and they saw, the Kohanim saw, okay, fine. You know, we got to the level that we feel this is good, this is the correct level of tshuva. They quickly signaled to the Levim, and they switched the tune to, to upbeat music. That's the extent that music played in the base of Mikdash. Now, the Ar HaMeyer brings down, in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, that the Baal Shem Tov one time was, uh, he heard someone play in a harp. And he said from the, from the music that he heard him play, this, this musician play, he was able to figure out the Averos, the, the sins that this person did. That's just what says the Aramir. This is just from the, from playing from the instrument. Imagine what it would be if he actually heard this person sing. I want to share with you something, a crazy chiddush. When I learned it, it was like really blew my mind. There's a Gemara Megillah. In the Megillah over there, the, the Tosis rings down that, you know, when the Tarsha Baal Peh was brought down, it was Baal Peh. It was by heart. It was the oral law was oral. How are you going to remember all that? That's a lot of information to remember it. We know that music has the power also to help you with memory. That's why in children, when they teach them the ABCs, you teach them the Aleph Bays, you teach it to them with what? With a little bit of a tune, because it helps you remember it. Says so, so it's the same way. When the time the Torah Shabbat was given, it was given with music. Says that the Pharisees are all crazy. Says, you know, if I wouldn't have read this, I wouldn't ever, you know, believe that this could... You're reading sometimes the Gemara, and it says in the Gemara, Chesurim Right, so there's a question on the Mishnah, on the, something is missing over there. So the Gemara says the, the Mishnah is missing a few words. This is the words that it's missing, and hence you're going to you know, solve all your questions. question that the Pharisees will ask says, just put it inside over there. Addition, you know, fix that addition. Put all the corrections inside the Mishnah. Why didn't they put the corrections inside the Mishnah if it was missing words? Answer that the Pharisees will says, because some, and this is what he says, for some cases, he says there was a special tune, a special nigan that was done for each particular, particular Mishnah. That's how they remembered it. If you're going to start changing the lyrics of this of the Mishnah, you're going to start. Then you're going to lose it. You're going to lose the memory. You're going to lose the the, the the song that you had. That's the extent that music played. That's the extent that music had the ability to go and remind, be able to like really connect you to the to you know to the Torah. Be really be able to to like understand it and remember it. I remember one time, maybe twelve years ago, no more, more like fifteen years ago. It's a mere yeshiva, and. Uh, and I was learning in one, I had a library over there and I was learning over there. And you know, sometimes people are sitting over there and that's why people are, are singing while they're learning. There was one guy who sat behind me. Um, was very, and he started singing and learning and then about five minutes into it, like, he was singing the, you know, the Gemara. It was an interesting halachic, you know, you know, understanding of how you'll to listen to, you know, it's a whole nice, interesting halachic concept of, of, uh, what are the, the, the abilities. Are we able to go and turn it into a song and are we not able to go into a song? But Lamaisa for learning is not a problem. But this guy started off singing the, the words of the Gemara. Five minutes later, it was, he was, he was on a kumzitz. He was like going through a shweki albums, you know, like behind. And it was, but you know, it was disturbing over here. I'm trying to learn over here. He's thinking, I'm like, what Gemara are you learning? <laughs> What's going on over here? And they're going, so of course, when you're singing it, it's supposed to remind you, but you have to remember what you're dealing with over here. Some people go, and instead of, instead of singing with the tune of the Gemara, they actually just take themselves into another level and they're just singing whatever song pops into their mind. And they're in the, again, this guy was in his own world. Oblivious that anybody else was around there. He went up over there. He was, you know, he, I don't know, in his mind, he was a chazanist that was going on over there. A very interesting situation. 
My, I had to leave, actually. I couldn't concentrate anymore. But, the Chidal goes and says that David HaMelech, he describes Torah as, as mirrors. Torah, what is the idea of this? When you're singing, it connects you to something. It connects you to something so much that you, you, you feel one with it. That's why you're in a different world. And that's why when you're, the songs that you're supposed to be dealing with is songs regarding Torah, regarding the Alicia Shemayim, something like that. But if you're doing something that's non-Jewish, non-kosher, whatever it is, to any extent that it is, imagine the, the, the effect that it's going to have in you. Imagine the effect that it has you. And this is, you know, you could try this. You know, I'm sure no one here, I'm sure you, no one here listens, but I'm, you know people, whatever the situation is. Uh, and I've spoken to people regarding this. Stop listening for three months. And I can guarantee you, with 100%, you'll feel different. You will feel physically different. I'm not talking about spiritually. You'll feel different. Even, and the spiritual world, for sure. You're going to connect in a different way. You're going to be able to learn in a different way. Like, it has such a power on you that sometimes you're, when you're in the dirt, you don't realize how much it affects you. When you get out of the dirt, you realize how dirty you are. When you stop listening for three months, when you stop listening for a while, then you, you know, walk into a store and you hear the music. You, you don't even understand how people can call this music. That's disgusting. This is what people enjoy nowadays. It will change your life. I can guarantee that. Of Kalonimus Kalman Shapiro, lived in the early 1900s. He says, he asked a question like this. So, so music is such a strong power to connect you. It's a language of the neshama. It's a language of the soul. It's a key to the soul. How do you have all these impure songs, though? How do you have all these musicians that are so impure? And he goes and explains as follows. And he says that music, what it does is, it opens you up. It opens up your soul. Now, what are you going to put inside there? It all depends on you. You have an open house, and now it depends what you're putting inside there. You have two people. They both feel happy. They feel joy. One person can turn that into Avodah Hashem. It could become stronger. Another person can go and, you know, party and go enjoy and, you know, all the vulgar insanities that, that exist nowadays. Two people, they want to experience the same type of joy, go in a two, different, in two different ways. When a person says, says when a person listens to music, you're opening up your soul. And this is what you're putting inside of it. You have two options. You put something kosher, something that would uplift you, or you could put something that could drag you down to the lowest depths. He says even further, he says, and this is, you know, you know the few Mikabalim bring this down as well also, that when you have somebody that's a musician that's singing a song, they put themselves into that song. Like a part of them, like a small part of their neshama actually goes into that soul. So when you're listening to this, when you're listening to little Bo Beep and, you know, him, and, you know, speaking at 40 miles per hour, which I could relate because I tend to speak that fast, Go speak so fast, speaking about all the disgusting vanities that he's dealing with in his life, all the vulgar obscenities that he goes and describes, you're basically opening up your soul and you'll be like, all right, bring it in. That's basically what's happening. Then Michelle goes down and says that the person who, who is singing, and someone who is involved in singing, takes a tremendous amount of responsibility on himself. Because this, this the, it all depends on the musician. That musician can either elevate or destroy that, the person that's listening to it. But Ram Shore goes and says that songs coming from a person who is of distant from pure thought, and I'm quoting, is like a poison-filled arrow which penetrates the heart of the listener. So for, again, and let me repeat this again, for you who think that it doesn't affect you, it affects you. Rabbi Shal Ilya Weintraub goes and says a musician who is non-kosher has the ability to cause others who listen to his music become non-kosher. Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Hillel has a big, uh, I'm sure everybody here knows who he is. He has several yeshivas in Israel, big makobo. 
goes and says like this. I want to quote for you quite a few things that he says. He says, any tune that was composed by a non-Jew or a Jewish sinner, even if it was not initially accompanied by lyrics, neither promiscuity or idolatry should not be listened to. Why? And again, he quotes the same thing that Rabbi Kahneman quotes. And he says, because it arouses within the listener the very emotions that were in mind of the composer. The same thing that the composer had in mind when he was composing the song and singing the song, that's what you're getting inside. And then he goes and he says, you know, <clears throat> what happened to the songs? The, 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 you know, there's unfortunately sometimes it creeps into the Jewish, you know, song album. Songs that stem from non-Jewish sources. He strongly rejects this. He goes and he says that, uh, you know, people, you know, say, listen, in the olden days there were tikkunim, there were deep intentions, they were fixing these songs. He says whenever he hears something about that, it reminds him of what happens to Shabzai Tzvi. Shabzai Tzvi also wanted to do tikkunim, and look where he ended up with. He says... We don't deal with tikkunim and fixing the non-Jewish songs and turning into Jewish songs. But he goes on and says, but those that crept over, you know, into the Jewish, you know, repertoire of songs in the past previous years and is accepted, he says those can still be listened to. But in general, we don't do this. We don't, we don't take other songs and make it Jewish and we're fixing it. We're doing tikkunim on it. The Gemara and Shabbos brings down the, you know, the severity of what happens when you're dealing with nivolpeth. Nivolpeth, vulgar speech. When you're dealing with vulgar speech, the Gemara over there brings down very scary things. It says even the, the, the tefillahs, the prayers of Yosemus, of orphans and widows, do not get answered. Now, I want to share with you, you know, like my idea. But what, why, why orphans and widows? Now, Apir Chazava tell us that orphans and widows, tefillahs, they get answered. Why? Because no, they have nowhere else to go. They're so vulnerable. They have nothing. They lost, what, they lost their, their foundation. They lost everything. They have nothing going on over here. So they go and they pray to Hashem. They dive into Hashem. Those feelers get answered. Because those feelers are really coming from the heart. They really mean it. They really connect to it. He says, those are the most powerful feelers. With, with the of Nivalpeh, with the sin of, of vulgar speech, those feelers don't get answered. If you think that it doesn't affect you. You know, <clears throat> the Rashi's Chachma brings down. Listen very carefully. This is something. I'm going to quote a few. People of low worth are drawn after low low songs. Again, people of low worth are drawn after low songs. Why would you bring yourself down to that to that you know to that level? Rav Nachman of Breslov also brings down that he says one who hears music from a from a wicked musician is difficult for him to serve his creator. If he hears it from a kosher musician, then it's good for him. This is what we're dealing with. Besides that you have the, the halachic issues that you're dealing with non-Jewish music, whether it be from Nivalpeh, of course anything that has to do with any other religion is, you know, a bodhazar, that's 100% forbidden without any, there's no questions even to, you know, to ask it with. But <clears throat> there's so many, there, even, by the way, that's even, even just tunes is a problem when you're dealing with, with, uh, with uh, tunes from, uh, from a bodhazar. I remember I was one time in a... Uh, uh, in a very, very odd situation. I was in a meeting with, it was a, me, I was the only Jewish person there. Everybody else was Asian. And they had this, this thing that was plugged into the wall, and it was like soft music that was playing, but it was chants that were going again and again. And I was there, I came into there, I'm like, okay, fine, you know what? I'm here for a short period of time. Let's, I'll deal with it. Let's, you know, I'm not going to say anything. After like two minutes, I felt... I literally felt like I was melting. Like my, my soul was like getting ripped apart. And it was just chance. Now, if anybody's familiar with the Asian culture, I mean, they're, they're all based on, you know, Abu Dazar. Every, you know, everything was that. And I'm sure this was what it was dealing with. After a few minutes, I'm like, I, I had to stop them. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I bet. But can we, that's really disruptive. Can we pull that out? 
and they actually, you know, they actually pulled it out. And what you think is not, you don't, you don't realize the connection. When you're staying far away from all this type of music and then you listen to something, you feel a different. You're like, oh, you feel yourself falling down. You know, <clears throat> the Gemara and Yuma brings down, there's, there's, many, there's many issues regarding Tznias that people think are permitted, but in essence are not. And somebody who, do, who, who indulges in these type of things, the Gemara brings down that a distance a person from, uh, from Torah. And the stipend also brings down that this also can bring a person to depression. Now what happens when you're dealing with something like Kol Isha? Right, Kol Isha, you look at the Mishnah Burah, it's, you know, very, you know, it's very straightforward. That, that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's 100% not allowed. You know, the, the Gemara in Brachos brings down that it's erva, to the extent that it's erva. And you're going to say, you know, like, okay, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't bother me. Again, not true. It affects you and it bothers you to the, to the extent that even, you know, the, the halacha is even like, what age are you not allowed to listen to, to a woman sing? So it's my halachas either, you know, there's three, six, nine. You know, Moshe finds it because, you know, if, you, if, if you're really, if you're really desperate for whatever reason that you're desperate until age of 11. But after that, that's it. It's, a, it's not allowed. Halachically, it's a big, it's a very big problem. And people go and they say, no, no, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't affect me. I cannot tell you enough, and I hope you realize that I'm repeating it again and again, because there's no such thing as it doesn't affect you. It affects you to a tremendous, tremendous extent. You know, the... I don't know if I should bring this up or not. I really don't. But, you know, somebody who, let's say, learns, you know, goes and, and, and opens up, you know, some halachic authorities and says, oh, well, listen, maybe there's a heter. Maybe you could say that there's a heter in it, that... You know, you're listening onto the radio, so it's not really the voice, and it's really, you know, you're going to find all the heterim that you're going to be able to find. First of all, the first thing that I want to say when, when, you, when you're dealing with heterim, learn the sugya. Learn exactly what's dealing with the heterim. People like to hear, well, okay, I'm allowed to do this, okay, fine, that's it, that's all I want to hear anymore. And they don't actually go and delve into it. <clears throat> For example, let's say, you know, Hamavadiyah Yosef goes and brings down, so it says, if you never saw a woman and you never saw the, the singer, and there's, there's certain, certain situations where it's not so problematic. But if you went and you saw it once already, it's a, I saw just a picture of, of this woman once already, it's problematic. Whether it's alive, whether it's dead. And by the way, this is talking about only, only, only kosher type of uh, music, not vulgar, not everything else like that. Which again, I don't think exists nowadays. Kosher, secular music. I don't think, uh, this also reminds me, people think that if it's in Hebrew and it's secular, it's okay. No, it's Israeli. There's the same amount of filth, unfortunately, in the secular Israeli music as just like it is in the American type of music. So just because it's in Hebrew doesn't change anything. Be like, no, 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 it's okay, it's Israeli. So um, one of the things that, that really when it comes into this, and I know for some people that are very involved with this type of you know, world, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to leave that type of world. But one thing you have to do is you have to be true to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. The last thing that you want to do is lie to yourself, say it doesn't affect me, it doesn't bother me, it, does, it has no, I need it, whatever it is. If you're doing something wrong, it's advice that I give you know, people, let's say they, they're not unable to change, which again, I don't believe, I think everybody is able to change. But if you're doing something wrong, the first thing that you have to do is realize, I am doing something wrong. Because if you don't think that you're doing anything wrong, guess what, you're never going to change. If somebody is an angry person... If somebody's a lazy person, if they think, okay, fine, I'm just tired, uh, you know, I just, I'm just, you know, I can heat it up very quickly. If you don't admit to your faults, if you don't know what your problems are, you will never correct yourself. And I can't tell you how important this advice is, especially once you get married. Once you get married, if you're going into marriage thinking, you know what, I'm okay, I'm good just the way that I am. You should know, by the way, the second that you say you're okay, you realize that you're not okay. 
We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. The Vilna Gaon says one of, the, one of the purposes of us being over here is that we have to fix our character traits. So if you think that you're perfect, you're not. Hate to burst your bubble. Nowadays, everybody says everybody, you know, self-esteem. You have to be so careful with the self-esteem. Well, guess what? There are things that you need to work on and you need to figure it out. And if this is one of your problems, then you have to realize, regardless of whatever you personally decide to do with your life, you have to realize this is going to be a problem. Now, I quoted an extensive amount on secular studies to just prove to you of the effect that music has on you. As many people say, I, I, every time that I speak with people on this matter, but I'm, talk, I'm talking about a person like a one-on-one, says it doesn't bother me, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I need this to bring it up. I, you know, if you're sad and depressed and you need three hours of music to bring yourself up, then music is not your answer. You probably need therapy or other situation. Music, if people go to the extent, you know, there are studies done on how many, how many hours a day people listen to music. It's crazy how much we're in a world of music that we're so, it's scary. You're talking about teenagers up to 40 hours a week. That's a full-time job of listening to music. These are people that are constantly in the morning, on the way here, constantly, constantly with, you know, you know always with, with this music. One thing also is I don't understand how people listen to the same song so many times. You repeat a Dvar Torah to somebody. He says, I heard this already. I know I'm not interested in it. Like, you just heard a song for the 15th billion time, and you're able to do that. And say, oh, it's different. You know, it has a tune behind it. Listen, you can find plenty of little clips on Torahs that has also music in the background. Play piano while you listen to a Torah show. I don't know. You know, build yourself music. But <clears throat> the truth is, is that, you know, when we're dealing with, with a topic like this, and, and I really feel this is why not too many people speak about it. You know, it has, uh, you know, it's difficult. People, for some people that are stuck in this world, it's very hard, very hard to leave. Forget about movies, forget about TV, forget about all that, that entire world. This is something that, you know, think people, you know, nowadays we think, not an issue, not a problem, not going to affect me. So much so that it's going to affect you that it will change your outlook. They had another study that was done that they showed they made someone listen to a particular piece of music, and then they showed this person a neutral picture. By I mean a neutral picture, not positive, not negative. You can interpret it, open for interpretation. And they saw, depending on how, what type of music that person just listened to, is how is he going to interpret that picture. Meaning that your music is also not only going to affect what you are right now, it's also going to affect your perception of how you see things. You're going to listen to some type of music, you're going to see the life, you're going to see the world in a different eye. You're going to see good music. You're going to see world in, the, in, a, in a good way. You're going to see bad music. The world is in a bad way. They made a study. This was a crazy, crazy study that was done. They made a study with a bunch of participants. It says, list me your 10 favorite songs. They listened to these 10 favorite songs to a bunch of participants. And then these, I think they were psychologists. What they did was, is they tried to predict your type of character traits, your personality traits based on your music that you listen to. And guess what? They, they, were, they were right on target with a lot of things. They saw people that listen to certain things have a low self-esteem. People that listen to high self have a high self-esteem. People, you know, and I guarantee you, rap, hip-hop, rock, all these things didn't come up high in the totem pole of like success in life. And this is the things that, especially when you're, when you're dealing with spirituality, especially when you're dealing with, with things that you want to connect, you want to become a better person. Nowadays, we live in a, in a, in a world that we become desensitized to things. And to the extent that a hundred years ago, if somebody would say something like this, either would get arrested or kicked out. Nowadays, we're like, okay, it's normal. You know, I have people that come to me and they speak to me. Uh, you know, I deal a lot in the cure of world. Uh, they speak, hey, bro, was, you know, uh, 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Rabbi, I have, I have a question, you know, for you. And they start asking these type of questions that people should really be, you know, embarrassed to speak publicly. Privately, you have to open up to, to your Rav, to your Abayim, on anything and everything. But publicly, people don't have any busha to even say, oh yeah, <laughs> I do this all the time. There's no, we're desensitized there. We think it's not, it's, it's, it's not a problem with it. You look in the secular world. Look what's happening in public schools. Look what's happening in the world over there. We're wondering, why is there so much violence? Why is there so much bullying? Really? We wondering? We, we don't know? Listen to what the kid is listening to. You have a 10-year-old listening to a rapper go and speak about how he's going to murder people and how he's going to do this and all the, the stuff that he's going to do. And then we're shocked. What's going on over here? And you have people playing video games. Also another thing that they waste their life with. They're playing video games for nonstop over here for hours on day. And then we wonder, what's happening? <laughs> it has no effect on me. It has affected you that you don't even realize how bad it is. You don't even realize how difficult it is. It's like somebody who smokes. Somebody who smokes and he tries to run. And says, okay, listen, it's not healthy, but it doesn't affect me that much. I'm just out of shape, that's why I can't run. And then all of a sudden, what happens when you stop smoking for a while? All of a sudden, you're able to breathe, actually. You're able to appreciate, you know, some air. Because when you're in it, you don't feel the problem. You don't feel the issue. The... When, when dealing with song, the Sefer Hasidim brings down that it's a mitzvah to sit and sing praises on, on, uh, on Shabbos. And he quotes also the, you know, the hill, and Mizmah Shiliyam Shabbos, Tavilaydis Lashem Lazamer Lashem Chaelian. Rabshim goes and quotes the Zohar and says that Shabbos is Yama Dinishmasa. It's the day of the Nishama, it's the day of the soul. Meaning the day of the soul, the language of the soul, that's when you're connecting to, to, the, to the song. That's why, by the way, it's very, very important. People need to sing Zemiras on Shabbos. I've heard crazy stories what happened to, you know, the effect of people that don't sing Zemiras in their house. Very important to sing Zemiras. It's not like, hey, if you're bored and you're sitting over here, you have nothing to do with sing Zemiras. No, it's very important to sing Zemiras. It's connecting it. Have you ever had this, you know, the connection that you have when you have a kumzitz? How is it sometimes people can get to such a high level, stronger than a shir, and I'm not saying, you know, don't go to shir so you can, you know, do your kumzitz. But sometimes you can connect so, so much by having a kumzit. What do you have a kumzit? You have people sitting over there. One guy's playing a guitar. It's usually dark. Everyone's singing off key. And they're screaming on top of their lungs. It's not like, you know, they're not practicing. not the best musicians around. But yet you feel so connected and you're, you're in like another whole world. How is it that you're so connected? You're just singing. Why is it? Think about it. There's nothing else. What else can you do that connects you so much to the level that it connects you? What else do you have an external stimuli that affects you so much? In Esther... In the first paragraph of Esther, it says, It says the king was heart was filled with, with wine. The villain brings down, and we know that every time that it says the Melech, when it's dealing with Melech in Megillah's Esther, it's not referring to the king. It's referring to, not referring to the king, it's referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It says the villain going, it says, you know, over here, it quotes over based off the Gemara and Megillah, that says that this day, what was it? What was the Taiva Melch behind? What was it? It was that thing was Shabbos. And who which Melch we're referring to? We're referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It says, really? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is enjoying wine? Well, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have an effect of wine. It says, but rather, what was the, what was the enjoyment? He says, the Yidden, the Jewish people, when they're sitting and they're having Kiddush on wine, and then they're going, and what are they doing? And they're sitting on their Shabbos table, and they're singing Zmiras, they're singing, and with, the, with you know, bringing themselves closer to HaKadosh Baruch and you're going, and he's singing the Divrei Torah, this, the Taiva Melech behind, this brought the Simcha to HaKadosh Baruch this was able to bring it, you know, to that, uh, you know, to that, to that level. And by the way, it's very interesting, you know, the, you know, the, the Torah brings down also Baruch Shammar needs to be said with a, with a song, and the Rabbi Yosef Akkar also brings him as well. So there's different tefillahs. It's also based on, based on song. Song has a tremendous effect in our, in our lives. 
It has a, such a tremendous effect that it could affect us to such drastic, drastic extremes. I want to finish with you a, a, um, a story that I heard. It doesn't really have so much to really be related with music. I heard it from Rabbi Yoel Gold. Rabbi Yoel Gold is unbelievable. He, you want somebody who does research on his, on his stories. He actually brings down the people that the stories were affected, and he goes and, and they say the story. So there's a story about the, you know, a person by the name of Shimmy Weitzhandler. It's a person from Eretz Israel who was a violin player. And uh, they flew him into California to play in some sort of dinner in the, that was taking place in the Herzog Winery. And he goes, he lands by the, you know, in LAX, he lands in the, in the airport, and uh, his host picks him up, drops him off at the house. And then they were going to travel to the winery, which is about an hour, you know, drive. They go, they stop by the, by the house, he drops off his suitcase, leaves his violin in the car. And, you know, after it's time for them to get ready to go to the dinner, they go, they pack up back in the car, and they drive for an hour. They get to the dinner right on time, they open up the, the you know, he opens up the trunk, and he sees the violin is gone. And he starts panicking, you know, this, this is all that he was, he was here for. And he goes to the host and says, where's the violin? He says, where'd you put the violin? He says, I left it in the back of the car. He says, which car? He says, the car that you picked me up with. He says, that was my wife's car. He says, this is my car. He says, I didn't know you had left anything in the back of there. And he says, you've got to be kidding me. He says, and the kicker was is that he was the only one who had the keys for his wife's car. And there was no way that he would be able to drive back and come back again to get the, uh, to get the violin. He thought he's done. He said, they flew him in from Eretz Yisrael to California to play at a dinner, and now he has nothing. What is he going to do? He can't... He, you can't acapella it. You know, you can't, he was stuck. And, uh, um, you know, he thought his business was ruined. He says, no one's going to hire him. A year later, he's sitting in Eretz he gets a phone call from the same administrator. He says, hi, we want to invite you uh, back in to uh, play at the dinner. He says, uh, do you uh, remember what, uh, what happened last year? He says, yeah, yeah. He says, no, listen, we know they understood his talent. He says, we want to bring you back in. So he says, please, whatever it is, I want to go back in. Whatever it is, I want to make things right. So he goes, he flies back in. I'm sure this time he held it the entire time. He didn't put anything in the back. He goes and he plays, you know, at the, you know, at the Herzog you know, winery at the dinner like he's never played before. The motion and everything that he put inside over there because he has a second chance. He has a second chance that he never had before. So many times in life, we have, we have a background music that plays in our life. We have our tune, if I can call it, that's going in our life. And you have a chance to choose what is the tune that you're going to choose to be playing your life. You have an option of succeeding, and you have an option of failing. And I think you all know what that option really is. But even more so, I want to finish off with one, one lesson that he brings down from this type of, uh, from this story. He goes and says like this. says that, you know, many, life, many times in life we mess up. We fall. We crash. We burn. And sometimes we want nothing more than just to fix that. We feel so bad. We fell. We, uh, you know, we went. We could do it better. And sometimes all we want to do is like, oh, please, please, God, please, Hashem, please just give me one more shot. It's a thought that goes in everybody's mind on the deathbed. So just give me one more shot. One more shot to do it right. So guess what? You know, Baruch Hashem, you guys are all young over here. You have another shot. You have another shot to choose how you're going to live your life. It's not only relevant only to music. It's relevant to everything else. All the other entertainment, all the other external stimuli that you're going to be putting into yourself is all going to depend on how you're going to live those moments. Those moments of entertainment is going to affect you and how you are on your highest and strongest point. All I'm asking, and I'll finish off, really finishing off, I know I finished off three times already, finish off really with this. Be true to yourself. Be honest to yourself. Realize the effect that it has on you physically, 
and spiritually. When you actually do think about that, I can guarantee you're going to make the right choice. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.